Hey everyone, and welcome to the 33rd episode of The Liam McCollum Show. Today I have my friend Austin Amistoy on, and due to all my podcasts actually being somewhat about politics in the past, I figured, you know, every once in a while we need a little disport, and um, especially since the election is nearing, why not talk about something a little inconsequential? And I, eh, I wouldn't say inconsequential, you know, these things matter. We are going to talk about Man of Steel, and since Zack Snyder's Justice League cut is going to come out soon, or we don't even know when at this point because of coronavirus, but it has been rumored, it has been confirmed. I figured I'd bring him on and we talk about it. He is super passionate about it, and I want this episode to be a defense of Man of Steel and the Snyder universe. And I think we'll also have another episode on uh, Batman versus Superman. Austin, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Liam. It's a pleasure to be joining you. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I have been friends with you for a while now and every time we hang out I swear we talk about comics or superheroes and and movies um and I've watched Man of Steel with you a few times now yep and you are super passionate about this movie do you want to just tell people a little about a little bit about you um why you enjoy this movie so much and then we'll kind of get into the plot of the movie yeah and break sure. it down. that sounds great well thanks again liam for having me uh my name is austin amistoy uh i was born and raised in billings and laurel montana same as liam um and we went to class together at K- k12 um and uh yeah well so when it comes to movies, I've been a movie fan for a while now. Um, but more specifically, I started really getting into movies um, only within the past few years. Uh, and when I did start getting into movies, uh, there was a day I was upstairs in, uh, I guess, the bonus room of uh, my, my parents' house, as we call it. And uh, I was – it was during the winter, I remember. And uh, I was running on the treadmill because I was in winter track at the time. I was a runner, too. And uh, I, I would watch movies all the time up there uh, while I do that. And I – put in Man of Steel on DVD. Um, and I had not seen this movie in a long time at that point. Uh, but I remember putting it in and watching it. And as the movie was playing out, I just had this like, it's almost like an out of body experience where I was like, <laughs> it suddenly dawned on me. I was like, wow, this is really good. And it was sort of that movie that awakened me to this whole new era of paying attention to movies for more than just like what they appear to be on the surface mm-hmm. and actually doing a deeper dive into some of the like thematic elements and the music, the soundtrack and how that plays along with the thematic elements and the character moments and all that jazz. Um, and so since then, I've had a I've had a playlist on my phone of movie soundtracks that continues to grow, but still half of it is the music from uh, the DC Cinematic Universe movies because they continually pump out these movies that feature great soundtracks accommodating their mostly great movies. They've had some <laughs> flubs. That is that cannot be denied. There are some real stinkers in there. But um, yeah, and when it comes to Man of Steel, a little bit of background on Man of Steel. That movie came out in 2013. It was directed by Zack Snyder, uh, who previously directed a couple of movies. Probably the one that people would know the most is 300, Rise of an Empire. Actually, I think that's the sequel. But he, he directed 300, which is a very, very stylized depiction of um, the Spartans versus the, um, I believe, the Persians. And then the Battle of 300 at Thermopylae. Um, and that movie was very polarizing when it came out as well because it has a very distinct style. That style being 
well, hyper stylized, right? So the, the color palette is um, very muted. Um, it features very bright highlights and very dark shadows. And it's sort of like a, almost a characterized version of the Battle of 300. And people at the time were like, well, what is this? This isn't, a, this isn't historical. What's going on here? Because there's just like bright flashes of red blood and, and sort of the desaturated environment. And, and the camera zooms in and out on the action. And there's like super slow-mo sections. And uh, a lot of people were really turned off by it. But the reason being for all of that was it was based on the original comic run of 300, which was a, a graphic novel that did stylize the events of the Battle of Thermopylae. So Zack Snyder didn't base it on history. He didn't base it on anything but the comic itself. And history will show, uh, comic history anyway, <laughs> that the people who really enjoyed 300 were the people who enjoyed the comic. Yes. Because Zack Snyder, one of his staples is he is very devoted to uh, the source material of the stuff that he adapts. So that was 300, but Man of Steel came out in 2013. Warner Brothers was basically looking to start their competitor to uh, Marvel's cinematic universe. And unfortunately, they were late to the party because Iron Man came out in 2008. People loved it. And uh, over the next few years, Marvel printed out uh, Thor, Captain America, and uh, Incredible Hulk, which is the <laughs> one that most people don't talk about for good reason. And then they had the Avengers uh, in 2012. And only a year after did DC actually start their universe with Man of Steel. And they... Uh, took a swing with Zack Snyder, I think. Um, they could have very easily picked a safe director. Marvel picked, um, well, John Favreau, he had a pretty proven record at that point, but they picked Joss Whedon for their first Avengers movie. Um, and that was a safe bet because Joss Whedon, uh, you know, look at the result. It was it was very, um, I, I like Marvel and I like the, their movies, but it was a very, it was a crowd-pleasing movie. Man of Steel in the footsteps of 300 was not, a crowd-pleasing movie in the traditional sense. It resonated with some people, and some people thought it was terrible for a number of reasons we'll probably get into in this show today. But um, long story short, DC continued to roll with what Zack Snyder gave them with Man of Steel. They produced a follow-up, Batman versus Superman, um, Dawn of Justice. Really ungangly title. Probably could have <laughs> done better there. But uh, again, another movie that was, if anything, even more polarizing than Man of Steel, if that's even possible. And then in the meantime, they started doing some of these side projects, but it all really fell apart in 2017 with uh, Justice League, or as we call it in the Snyder Cut community, Justice League, <laughs> as it was uh, completely sullied by the marriage of Zack Snyder's vision with that of Joss Whedon of Avengers fame. So that's a whole soap opera in and of itself. But uh, yeah, Man of Steel. 2013, very polarizing. We'll talk about it. I love it. And uh, when I showed it to you uh, earlier this spring, I think you came around to it too, and we've had lots of good conversations about it. Yeah, and just so people know kind of about my background and my opinion of these movies, um, <laughs> I the word I would use for Joss Whedon's Justice League is that it was marvelized. I mm. personally, I know Austin enjoys the Marvel movies. I I enjoy them as well, but I am totally against the like blind acceptance of them that's mm -hmm. around them. I don't know what it is, but I have heard so many times that, you know, DC sucks, Marvel sucks, or Marvel's great, DC sucks. And I just don't think that there's really any reason for them to say something mm -hmm. like that. Like, especially since these movies really are not comparable. No. Um, like, as you mentioned, um, with 300, he was appealing to the base who had read the comics. Um, and I think what 
these movies are showing is that movies and their directors um, can they can please niche communities. Yes. They can like uh, we we can think of Joker. A lot of people don't think that rated R movies would be good for superhero films or anti heroes. Is that yeah, what you call them? Anti hero film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for some reason these these movies, mm-hmm. Deadpool did amazing. Yes. Um Joker did amazing. Yep. And yeah, they're they're performing well. But do you know did Man of Steel uh what is it rated on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, you know, off the yeah, top of your head? I, I do. And real fast, before I, I get to that real fast, and I will though, I did something you brought up. Um, I think is really important. You talked about Zack Snyder's dedication to the comics and in appealing to uh, those people who'd read the comics as well. I think one thing in my talking with a lot of diehard Marvel fans, including Marvel comics fans, one of my very best friends uh, almost completely despises Endgame. Avengers mm. Endgame, and really dislikes all of the Marvel movies directed by the Russo brothers, actually. Yeah. Uh, besides, with the exception of The Winter Soldier, because it's excellent. But she dislikes them because uh, they took some of these ideas from the comics and the characterizations of, of people from the comics and completely soiled them mm. in her eyes. And I think that shows Marvel, especially the directors in the MCU, they're appealing to a cinema-going audience who probably doesn't yeah. have a lot of background with the actual comics. They yeah. know the characters, but they don't know the stories all that well. Mm. And I think that's why they appeal so well. Zack Snyder took a very different approach in appealing to those stories and the nuance of the characters from the comics. And I think that's why they didn't do as well. Yeah. Um, but I had to go back to that real fast. But Rotten Tomatoes-wise, Man of Steel is actually a really a perfect expression of the term like polarization among critics because it has, um, I believe, a 54% on Rotten Tomatoes. Let me um, uh, look that up real fast. But uh, anyway, so it has it has a, a score in the 50s. Um, and Rotten Tomatoes, if you don't know how that works, ah, 56. I was two, point, two percentage points off. So if you don't know how Rotten Tomatoes works, it's a uh, critic aggregate website so member critics will submit their reviews and if they are generally positive like it, or if the review is on the positive side of their scale it'll count among the positive reviews if it's negative it'll count among the, the negative reviews and then the rotten tomatoes percentage is a, is the percentage of reviews that were rated positively so 50% of member critics on, of rotten tomatoes rated man of steel positively that's still over uh that's still over half, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, generally speaking, uh, and on Rotten Tomatoes, a movie isn't certified fresh until it reaches the 70s or 80s. Yeah. Uh, audience score, I will note, is 75%. So significantly more mem- members of the general public really do like Man of Steel. How do the Marvel movies uh, perform in comparison? Yeah. <laughs> really well, <laughs> like yeah. all of them. I think um, the highest rated DCEU movie. So again, I, I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but I think it's important for, you know... it. This kind of stuff is important to talk about because it, it reflects the film industry as well and sort of their storytelling strategies. So the DCEU is pretty much every DC movie from Man of Steel onward. So this doesn't this universe doesn't count the Dark Knight uh, trilogy. It doesn't count um, uh, Catwoman, <laughs> which is considered one of the worst movies ever made. Thankfully, it does not count Catwoman. And uh, also doesn't include any of the 80s Batman movies with Val Kilmer and... Um, uh, some of the other ones, uh, Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. Um, but so DC, yeah, okay, yeah. We're talking, sorry. Highest rated DC movie, I think, is Wonder Woman. And I think it has about a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. So people love Wonder Woman. I love Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman's great. Um, 
And this was after Zack Snyder's Yes, yes, it was. Um, But Marvel scores are, like, excellent across the board. Um, In fact, I think their lowest rated one is uh, Thor The Dark World, which is generally considered the weakest entry in the MCU. And it's got a 71. It's got a 71. So that's still a full, what is that? That's... um, 15 points higher than Man of Steel, and that's the lowest rated MCU movie. And I can tell you that Man of Steel is 20 times more competent than The Dark World. I think there are some Marvel movies that can contest it. I love the Winter- Captain America, The Winter Soldier. I think it's an excellent spy thriller with great characters and themes. I love it, but I think that's right up there with Man of Steel. But generally speaking, critics have shined much more favor on Marvel movies than DC movies. And I will say, before we get any more into the weeds, I get it because they're, again, they're crowd-pleasing movies. So what does that mean? The crowd's going to be pleased, right? They're going to watch it and no one's going to be able to go away and say that wasn't good. But also no one's going to go away and say, wow, I'm really thinking about that moment where, (laughs) you know, Iron Man played Black Sabbath. Like, wow, that was really profound. Right. You know what I mean? And that's just not what those movies are designed to do. DC yeah. definitely takes more of that approach. Yeah, and I'm th- kind of thinking like now would kind of be a good time to actually talk about why Zack Snyder was thrown out um, before we kind of get into the movie itself. Oh, sure. Um, because I think that that controversy really matters and kind of like where it's it at today. Too. That's it's excellent, Liam. So I think um, – and one thing that I'll tell listeners too is this would make – excellent documentary someday (laughs) and i have no doubt that someone will do a documentary about this because probably the most interesting behind the scenes elements in hollywood right now are all pivoting on dc warner brothers and Zack snyder it's incredibly interesting so originally when dc brought on Zack snyder to start their universe he was not only doing man of steel he was sort of the executive producer of the entire dc universe in the same way that marvel has kevin feige who oversees all mcu movies and continues to to this day Zack snyder was going to do the same sort of thing so originally he wanted to do man of steel he wanted to do a sequel to man of steel he wanted to do uh batman versus superman so there was going to be another superman movie in there somewhere and then he was going to bring it all together with justice league Unfortunately, um, that didn't work out. But also, it was sort of, in some ways, destined to fail from the beginning because Marvel had the benefit of telling individual character stories first, Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, then bringing them all together in the Avengers so you didn't have to do any character introductions in that movie. Really? All that many character introductions? DC did not have that going for them. So it was always going to feel fast. And a lot of critics were really turned off by that. Um, But what ended up happening was Man of Steel came out. It was commercially successful, wasn't a big win, uh, but also it was polarizing. It was even polarizing among the general public. But Warner Brothers was like, at the time, they were like, okay, we can ride this out. And uh, they did some adjusting behind the scenes. So a true Man of Steel sequel was cut, obviously, at some point in the process. Batman v Superman comes along. Batman v Superman comes out, and wow. It is it it lands like an atomic bomb in the film industry in a number of ways. For one, it has a massive opening weekend. A lot of people come to see this movie and it's got like 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. So 26% of critics liked it. Yeah. The rest of them did not. 
Uh, I'm shaking the, my head right now. The, <laughs> well, the first weekend after Batman v Superman hits theaters, it opens to these huge numbers. The next weekend, it sees a 60% drop in attendees. That was, at the time, the biggest second-week drop-off of any movie of all time. And that has been largely attributed to word of mouth. So word got around from these people saying, wow, I have no idea what I just watched. Because, uh, as we'll talk about as probably at some point in the future, uh, Batman v Superman is even more contentious and interesting of a movie than Man of Steel is, in my opinion. But what Warner Brothers saw was, oh, oh no, like <laughs> people hate this. And what are they going to do to their cash cow? Like DC is their Marvel. This is how they're going to make money. This is their entrance to the cinematic universe, right? And it has suddenly blown up in their face. So a lot of start stuff <laughs> happen starts happening behind the scenes. Fortunately, uh, I think the DC universe would have uh, imploded even sooner had Wonder Woman not come out a year after Batman v Superman yeah. and really honestly saved the day because that is a crowd-pleasing movie almost everyone loved it including me but i think and what i love about it is it still has the nuance of the original dc movies and it doesn't leave that behind and you don't want to know why it's because Zack snyder has story credit in wonder woman he helped shape that movie because at the time he was still executive producer but warner brothers essentially behind the scenes sat down with Zack snyder and they're like look man uh people don't like your movies and Batman v Superman saw a big drop off in sales. It made around 800 million, I think, globally at the box office, which, you know, 800 million. <laughs> that's still a lot of money. Right. But but if you really think about it, it featured Batman and it featured Superman. Yep. Probably the two most famous superheroes on Earth and the two most recognized faces slash symbols on Earth, mm -hmm. right? That thing was supposed to make a billion and a half dollars, right. then, if not more. So they, they're like, man, we got a problem. But problem was, even bigger problem was, Zack Snyder was already shooting Justice League. Justice League was supposed to be two parts. Uh, first part was um, gonna come out in 2017. Second part was gonna come out in 2018 or 19, I think. And it was supposed to continue his tone, and it was supposed to be a sort of pseudo-injustice story, which if you don't know what injustice is, it features um, Superman coming back from the dead, uh, but having fallen to um, sort of DC's version of Thanos, Dark Side, his anti-life equation. It's yeah, called. And does he this kind of evil? Or how how much does this appeal to um, the comics? Is is that? Oh, Injustice is a comic storyline. Right, yeah, right. and it's great. I would have loved to see it. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, DC looks at Injustice, which it wasn't going to be called Injustice or Injustice League because that's a different thing. But DC, D or Warner Brothers, looks at that and they're like. Oh no! Like right. people, the biggest complaint, you know, it's been some. Oh, they're too dark. Oh, they're too boring. Oh, they're too heady. They're too full of themselves. These movies. Oh, I hate them. Like, where are the quips? Where are the jokes? Where's all that? You know, and so they're like, okay, man, look, this needs to be lighter. And also, you're getting one Justice League movie now. Uh, so suddenly, Zack Snyder's forced in the middle of this to reconsider everything in the filming of Justice League. But what ends up happening in a very tragic twist of fate is um, Zack Snyder's daughter uh, commits suicide. And uh, of course, it, it's devastating for him. It's devastating for his wife, who was an executive producer on Man of Steel, mm. Batman v Superman as well, I think, and on Justice League. So they've been working on these projects together. Um, so publicly speaking, Zack Snyder leaves the project to deal with the family emergency. But 
uh, what we've come to learn is it does seem like Warner Brothers used that opportunity, which is just horrible, yep. to oust him from the project because Zack Snyder was still very devoted to these characters in this universe, but Warner Brothers ousted him anyway. And again, I, I would say production studios have a right to do this kind of stuff mm -hmm. their goal is making money if they don't think they're going to make money they have a right to fire a director that's mm -hmm. fine but what ends up happening that i think is worse and that everyone agreed was worse is you'll never believe who they bring in to hire or who they hire for uh to finish justice league they bring in joss whedon of avengers fame hence marvelized marvelized and guess what happens joss whedon tries to make the avengers using these characters that are nothing like the characters he was working with with the Avengers. And he creates this quippy, joke-filled mess using a skeleton of Zack Snyder's yeah. plot. And we get this mess of a movie called Justice League where you can literally, from scene to scene, see the sh the scenes that Snyder shot and filmed yeah. and see the scenes that Whedon wrote and filmed. Yeah. Night and day, black you, and white. You should explain. Um, so, obviously, Ben Affleck, like his Batman, was very controversial. But what does Joss Whedon do to yeah, Ben Affleck? So, you Ben, ben Affleck's that. Batman was very controversial because, uh, well, first of all, in Batman v Superman, he is a Batman who kills. And generally speaking in the comics, and this is true, Batman is most often not a killer. Um, and that's because he has this creed where, you know, he won't kill and it's based off of his parents being killed when he was a kid. You know, he, he would never do that to anyone else, basically. But that's not the Batman that Zack Snyder creates. He is one who has also been in the comics before, uh, who is jaded. He's old. He is disenchanted with the world. And he's sort of fallen. He's a fallen Batman. That's the point of Batman v Superman. So he is this dark, gritty, killing Batman who just really doesn't care if he has to murder some thugs along the way to get what he wants, basically. And what we see at the end of Batman v Superman is he is starting to come around because he's seen the error of his ways. That's the point of his arc, is he's becoming a better person because of his relationship with Superman and sort of the realizations he has along the way. Well, I think what happens in Justice League is, unfortunately, he's suddenly uh, a, a jokester, and he is... Uh, he has some of the weirdest quips in the entire movie. And it's very, very jarring to go from Batman v Superman to Justice League Batman. Part of the problem behind the scenes was Ben, ben Affleck was also struggling in his personal life with mm -hmm. alcoholism and uh, substance abuse, which he has since recovered from and is also now filming additional scenes for the Snyder Cut of Justice League. And the reason, yeah, and the reason that's so important, I guess we can get into that now because I do want to mainly focus on the man of steel movie eventually and <laughs> yep, talk, about, talk about like the actual content and the themes as you mentioned but um the reason that that was so amazing was because everyone thought that ben affleck was done yep everyone thought he was done and the reason they thought it was done is because justice league came out and everyone agreed that his batman was horrible which it was bad it was bad um and he was like it's i'm ready for someone else to take care of this role he was gonna have his own solo movie that he was gonna write and direct um which actually has now morphed into the batman with robert pattinson which also looks great but so he stepped down but when uh after all this happened justice league came out it was a huge flop they poured tons of money into it 80 percent of the movie was reshot under whedon they poured it was i believe when it came out the most expensive movie ever made <laughs> flopped massively and for the next several years there was a huge campaign on twitter and online 
online uh, with, under the hashtag release the Snyder Cut, in which fans vehemently believed that Zack Snyder had finished most of his movie. There was never any proof of this directly, but Zack Snyder hinted at it behind the scenes as he and his family were recovering from this tragedy. And eventually what happens is Warner Brothers starts up this streaming service called HBO Max, and HBO Max says, wow, a great way to get subscribers to come to us would be is if we had some excellent exclusive content. And what happens in August, I believe, of this year, 2020, HBO Max announces that, yes, indeed, the Snyder Cut of this movie, Justice League, does exist. It is almost finished. And they're giving Zack Snyder $30 million to finish this movie. And you know what ends up happening beyond that? He gets more money from them and is now filming additional scenes from a movie that was originally shot in 2016 and 2017. He's filming new scenes today with Ben Affleck, who came back to the project, along with a few other actors, Ray Fisher, Cyborg, uh, and uh, Ezra Miller's um, Flash. So they came back to film additional footage for this movie, this, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. It's coming to HBO Max in 2021 in a four-part series, hour-long episodes which i am very excited about and i do want to say that austin and i had many conversations before hbo max announced this where we predicted not not really predicted but we said hey hbo max should do this yeah. imagine because i mean it goes off of the like you know these niche audiences like if, exactly if I mean, that's how these streaming services But the live. thing is, e even if – what happens is, though, and that's the thing about Zack Snyder movies, is the only people who watch this are not just going to be Zack Snyder fans. Yeah. Because at this point, every Zack Snyder movie that comes out – excuse me – is uh, – an event and people want to see it even mm. if they're going to hate it because they're just curious they're yeah. that curious so uh, the Zack Snyder's Justice League is going to make big bucks for HBO Max a lot of money and there's the potential for even more movies in this universe to come out in the future it's a great story and I hope that we'll get more into it in the future in another episode um, but that is sort of what's gone on behind the scenes with the DCEU but it all started with Man of Steel a movie I hold very dear to my heart yeah, and uh, do you know how much, I mean, just think about it, how much money will be poured into Justice League? Like, and I'm not just talking about the final, like, the total, like Zack Snyder's, oh, I'm talking yeah. about collectively. Yeah, by the time all this is done. Because <laughs> it's already considered one of the most expensive movies, like oh, it was. the original. Yeah, the, when the, the one that came into theaters. But the thing about this one it will be, now this movie will have essentially taken three different forms, actually four. The original Zack Snyder two-parter, the Zack Snyder... Warner Brothers telling him to adapt it into one movie, the Joss Whedon cut that came out in theaters, and now Zack Snyder's adapted, adapted original <laughs> version. Uh, and so by the time all this is done, I think very easily this thing's budget balloons to 400 million, 450 million, potentially more, which is unreal. Unreal. That is an unreal amount of money in the movie world. I mean, in, Infinity War was filmed for like 330 million. And that was the largest superhero movie ever made at the time. Yeah. So. That's crazy. Yeah. And another thing that I'm kind of thinking about um, is Christopher Nolan was actually on mm. this project. Uh, yeah, he was. And you, I don't know if this is actually confirmed, but you have kind of come up with this theory that, um, you know, just like the Dark Knight was not Batman. Um, do, do you want to explain that? Yeah, I don't sure. Say it for you. No, it's okay. Um, well, so the Dark Knight was Batman, and it was a it was a trilogy about Batman, and there's no doubt in anyone's mind that 
the character in that movie was Batman because he was a very traditional Batman. Um, but the reason that they chose the so they the first movie was Batman Begins. Second movie was titled The Dark Knight, right? And The Dark Knight was actually one of Batman's lesser known comic nicknames um, that obviously has gone on to become very well known because of the Dark Knight movies. Uh, and Christopher Nolan was uh, a producer on Man of Steel. So he actually helped uh, shape the story along with Snyder and also I think Jonathan Nolan, but don't quote me on that. So the other Nolan brother. Um, but so this movie ends up being titled Man of Steel, uh, which is also one of Superman's lesser known comic nicknames, along with other ones like uh, The Man of Tomorrow, which if there is ever a Man of Steel sequel, I absolutely hope it is called Man of Tomorrow. <laughs> um, anyway, so but I believe personally that the reason this movie is called Man of Steel is because this movie is not a Superman movie. And the reason it's not a Superman movie is because uh the character that we see struggling with his sense of destiny and choice and whether or not um, his actions, well, the ma- basically the magnitude of his actions and what he chooses to do and what not to do. The, the person we see struggling with that is not Superman in the traditional sense of our understanding of Superman being, you know, the, the guy who knows every right from every wrong, who's morally upstanding, who will save a cat from a tree and help an old lady cross the street, but he's capable of these cosmic powers, but he'll do these small acts of good because that's where he sees himself working the yeah. best, you know? This this is not your big blue Boy Scout Superman. This People is a, expected that, though. People they did. wanted it. They did. And they, the reason they did is because Christopher Reeve made three or four great Superman movies back in the 70s in which that was the character, and that's fine. But... I, I think that people were not prepared for a different take on this character, and Zack Snyder did give a very different take. But that is why I appreciate this movie as a film so much more than those classic movies, is because even though at times this movie can be ham-fisted and really heavy with its symbolism and its themes, I think it has more to say than it would have if it was a movie about big blue boy scout superman yeah absolutely and i mean that's part of the reason i like it so much and the part of the reason i like the dark knight trilogy as well is there's there are themes throughout the entire movie it's Mm -hmm. not just superficial Mm -hmm. marvel movies i don't get anything other than that final scene at the end of the movie where everyone's fighting but like with this movie there are themes about free will um i mean that's part of the movie that Part of the reason why Brightburn, which was the horror movie that came out, which kind of is like mm-hmm. what would have happened if— It was a very obvious homage of like Man of Steel. What, what, what would have happened if Clark Kent uh, just went crazy as a yeah. kid, basically? Yeah, so do you kind of want to go into the lore and explain like why Batman sure. or why Superman has free will yeah, in this movie? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, we'll just kind of break through the movie at this point, I think. So Man of Steel opens with a great 20-minute uh, scene. It's actually a really significant chunk of the runtime that's spent on Krypton, which is Superman's home planet. So the Kryptonians uh, are basically, I mean, they look just like humans. Their society, though, is very evolved and very advanced. Um So imagine sort of an Earth of the distant future in which we were able to reach out into the stars and colonize all these different worlds and expand our our reach and everything. But at the same time, Krypton as a world has been consuming its own resources too much and it's become too greedy and too uh, full of hubris for its own good. And that ends up being what starts the plot of the movie in motion. But one of the things that uh, Kryptonian society does as it evolves is... Uh, 
it begins a program of eugenics and selective breeding, essentially, where basically no Kryptonians are naturally born. They are grown in what's called a genesis chamber. And from birth, they are genetically programmed to accomplish specific tasks. So there's workers, leaders, educators, warriors, that sort of thing. Um, and the main antagonist of the movie, General Zod, was born and bred as a, a warrior. And he was programmed with like a specific purpose for which uh, his life was set out. Um, the reason, though, that Cal, Cal L, or um, <laughs> what is it called? Calvin Klein? That's not his name. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a clothing brand. But the reason that Cal L. Uh, Clark Kent is so special is because his parents, Jor-El and Lara L, chose to have him uh, naturally. He was a natural birth. So he has not been pre-programmed with any morals, any understanding of the world, nothing like that. And the reason they chose to do that is because they saw that their society was failing and they knew that Krypton was doomed and they wanted a vessel to carry on the Kryptonian legacy, but they weren't going to get that with any of the genetically pre-programmed people in society of uh, Krypton. And and their, their argument, Cal's Jor-El, Cal's father, his, his, the main thrust of his argument is that Krypton failed because they programmed all these people because they don't have free will and because because of this like a uh, eugenics program and everyone being allotted into a very specific place in society they became too greedy because everyone was doing their own job too well you know they harvested resources too well they they were on a path towards extinction so clark was supposed to be the solution to that problem mm. and in, in the beginning of the movie it it just hammers that really excellently because General Zod is introduced, and already you can tell exactly the kind of person he is. And he's not a villain with any depth for a reason. That's because he's not a being with any depth. The literal reason for his existence is to preserve Krypton at all costs. And that is the sole, I mean, he says at the end of the movie, that's the sole reason for which he was born. That is it. And that's what makes Michael Shannon's performance as General Zod so great. From the outset, you just see this bit, like this vicious, I mean, he seems vicious to us, but that's just, that's just his nature. Mm -hmm. he, he wouldn't consider himself vicious. He is this like single-minded warrior that seems angry and powerful and in control at all times. And he contrasts so well with Henry Cavill's Clark Kent, who is this conflicted individual just trying to find his place in the world. So that's where the movie starts. Starts on Krypton, and we see um, Jor-El steal what's called the Codex, which is essentially it's kind of a MacGuffin thing for the movie. <laughs> so you know it's some movie making stuff, but it does it is an interesting thing. It's the sort of skull um, in which all of Krypt uh, Krypton's genetic data is stored, and that's what they pull from when they create these these uh, specialized births. But he programs. Clark, he, he basically puts this codex and the genetic information of all of Krypton in his newborn son. And we see him send him to Earth in a uh, sort of escape pod type thing just before uh, General Zod kills him in a coup against Krypton's leaders uh, because General Zod thinks they've been doing you know bad stuff, whatever. <laughs> he's, trying to, he's trying to save Krypton, man. Right. But they're all too late. And Krypton blows up anyway. General Zod sentenced to a place called the Phantom Zone. Um, but he's freed when Krypton explodes. But the person who makes it out, of, the person who makes it out of all of this in one piece is Clark, and he's sent to Earth. Yeah, well, and then after that, you kind of get this—you um, get him growing up, 
and right. um, you you start to see the conflicts, the moral conflicts in these scenes. But a lot of people like attribute that as being the reason they don't like this movie, right? Yeah, a lot of people think that the um, nonlinear storytelling of the first act is uh, uh, dull. Um, and uh, to be fair, it is the pace for the first part of this movie is pretty off. It, it can drag at times. But what I really like about it is um, there's this amazing match cut at the start of the movie where uh, Clark's pod is about to crash into a cornfield in Kansas at night. And just before it hits the ground, it smash cuts into uh, a lobster boat smashing into a wave. And it's this very, in that time we've skipped 30 years and suddenly we see Henry Cavill playing Clark Kent fully grown. And he's this drifter who's just kind of aimlessly wandering through life doing good he saves a bunch of people from a burning oil rig right um but he doesn't really have any control over himself and he doesn't really know the full extent of his powers um but we see him interacting with things in the modern day and he has these sort of flashbacks that then we get to experience of him growing up on his farm in kansas with his parents um played by uh Diane Lane and Kevin Costner. Um, that's uh, Martha and uh, Jonathan Kent. Yeah. And they are excellent in the movie. But we see these scenes of him in his childhood basically struggling with his purpose and how much of himself he should reveal to the world um, and whether or not the world is ready to know uh, of his existence as this sort of extraterrestrial with, you know, godlike powers. Um, but it's just this. So we'll get scenes in modern day where Clark is struggling with various aspects of humanity. Um, you know, he works at a bar and <laughs> has to deal with this real asshole guy. And uh, but we get to see because of those flashbacks to his childhood, the moral upbringing he was given by his, particularly his father and his relationship with his father, Jonathan. Um, yeah, when he's when he's working at the bar, um, the guy's really trying to antagonize him and yeah. almost fight him and you see Clark really is is holding back he wants to do it and that's the part that stands out to me so much is he easily could have oh he could have popped that guy's head like a water balloon right but he chooses not to right and that's the whole that's the entire gist of this movie is all of these times and again you know you mentioned Brightburn Brightburn is like what if Superman chose the wrong things Mm -hmm. but this whole movie is Superman choosing right continually again and again and again even when it gets more and more and more difficult towards the end of the movie but the first the first part is just this excellent montage of flashbacks and and present day scenes but I get it because this is not a Marvel movie in that, you know, the nonlinear storytelling in Marvel movies is almost never happens. They'll right. do flashbacks, but definitely not in this way. It feels almost more like an art house movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's what's so endearing about it. And you really get to know who Clark was growing up. Yeah. And you can tell that he's not a normal kid and he didn't really have a normal childhood. I mean, he did in that he was raised by some caring parents on a, you know, a rural farm, but he's been burdened with this, the fact that he exists right. for years of his life, but he still doesn't know uh, until later in the movie where he actually comes from. Yeah, and I mean, there's this scene where um, he's kind of like having having sensory overload when he's in class, and he hides in a closet, and you actually do see what he could have done bleed out a little bit when he burns, or he, he's basically hiding in the closet in his school because... Um, yeah, this is when he's, he, he's younger. He's probably it's third or fourth grade. Yeah. Age. Yeah, and his teachers like tell him to come out of the closet, and he he starts to heat up the the handle of the door yep. and burns the teacher's hand. So it's actually a little bit like yeah. you do see kind of 
a little bit of evil. Exactly. But, but, and that's the thing because you know who comes into that scene immediately after he does that is uh, Martha Kent. Right. And she comes in and starts talking him down. And he says that the world's too big uh, in reference to the fact that as a Kryptonian on Earth, he, uh, he essentially can do most things that a human can do, but just like taken like to the extreme, right? So he, his vision is so good. He can see through things and he can hear the slightest sounds and they sound so loud to him. The tapping of a pencil sounds like a gunshot or a bell just sounds like a, you know, blaring alarm. And uh, he says the world's too big and she tells him to make it smaller and uh, basically talks him out of the closet. Um, And that's, it's just this great representation of the fact that Clark got this upbringing from his parents who even though they were given an extraterrestrial child uh just raised him like they would any other kid right and that's what eventually gives him the edge over his opponents later in the movie it's 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 very good storytelling yeah and there's also another thing that i picked up in the movie um the dichotomy between russell crowe as jor-el and um Mm -hmm. kevin costner as his human father um do you kind of want to explain what's going on there, what the messages are. Yeah, it's really interesting. So um, uh, Russell Crowe, also this movie, great cast. (laughs) It's got such a good cast, and everyone is so perfectly cast. So Russell Crowe plays Jor-El, again, his uh, space dad, if you will, from Krypton, uh, who dies uh, at the start of the movie when Krypton explodes. Uh, But he uploaded um, basically a copy of his consciousness into this pendant um, that was sent in the pod with Clark. So when Clark discovers uh, an ancient Kryptonian scout ship in the Arctic along with Lois Lane, um, and he pla- Amy Adams. Amy Adams, again, stellar actress, great in this movie, <laughs> and he places the key in this little receptacle. He's suddenly speaking to Russell Crowe, his father. Well, not Russell Crowe, his father. Jor-El, his <laughs> father, played by Russell Crowe. But he's speaking to a, a clone of his consciousness, basically. But what Jor-El gives him that uh, um, Jonathan Kent never did is uh, sort of a motivational speech. Jonathan Kent, you know, he is sort of a flawed character, his 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 Earth father, because Jonathan is always telling Clark that the world isn't ready and that he should hold back and that he should wait and that he should just wait until the time is right. So he's he's the guy who's telling Clark, who's teaching him restraint and teaching him, you know, how to be a human first before he's a Kryptonian. And suddenly Jor-El, he's talking to his dad on the ship, and Jor-El is like, hey, you can be so much more. Like, he's, he literally tells... Clark, you can be an ideal for like the human race to strive towards. And he gives this great speech after Clark puts on the suit he found in the ship for the first time. And he's speaking as Clark is discovering his ability to fly. And but but Jor-El's message to his son is not the world isn't ready. It's make the world ready. Like show the world who you are and prove to them that you're here to do good. And it's really inspiring because yeah. you know Jor-El is like um, he finally gives Clark a sense of purpose in his life because Jonathan was always like, you know, wait, the purpose will show. And he was right. Jonathan was right. In fact, we should point out here, too, that um, there is the last flashback in the movie is of a scene where Clark is in his late teens and he's driving in a truck with his parents and uh, a tornado uh, strikes the highway they're on and in the process um, his dad gets trapped in the in the truck that they're leaving and Clark is about ready to go and save his life and then pluck him away from this tornado but in doing so he'd have to show the world you know he's a superhuman he can move fast whatever and Jonathan holds up a hand and tells him to stop 
uh, and just shakes his head. And in that moment, Jonathan literally sacrifices his life right. because he believes that the world isn't ready to see what Superman can do. But Jor-El finally provides this vindication that Clark was waiting for, where he says, you can be more and even if the world isn't ready they'll get there eventually and that's where he says the line they'll race behind you they will they will stumble they yes. will fall right and that's the fall is what jonathan was so worried about but jor-el is like it's gonna happen anyway so just do it show the world who you are and they'll deal with yeah. it and they're both correct that's what's so awesome about yes. it is because i mean not to entirely spoil the movie but like yeah. basically after the ending of this movie the society is upset with superman they turn on superman um, yep. and that's kind of the plot of batman versus superman it's exactly right they will they will race behind you in fact there's a there's a, an, an amazing parallelism that people have pointed out that is so great but uh they will race behind you is that line is t typically associated with man of steel they will stumble they will fall is generally associated with batman v superman and then ideally but in time they will join you in the sun and in time that will help you accomplish wonders was supposed to be associated with Justice League in which all of these other metahumans joined Superman in defeating Darkseid. So it was, it was actually this really cool foreshadowing of Zack Snyder's intention for his universe in mm -hmm. that plot. So it is great. I mean, they were setting up Batman v Superman from the start with this movie in terms of thematic elements. Right, right. And to speak of like all of the other themes um, that we pointed out when watching this movie it's a lot of people are very critical because it's very on the nose about the christian oh, yeah. themes very especially so. um so there's a scene when he's jumping out it, what is he jumping out of it? yeah he's on the um after so general zod and his cronies make it to earth because they finally tracked clark there after 30 years of drifting through space and uh they basically hold the world hostage until clark reveals himself and when clark does uh they bring him on board their ship and bring him up into space in orbit around earth and uh Eventually, he escapes that ship, uh, and in doing so, he strikes a panel on the side of the ship. And, you know, he's fine because he's Superman, but he's just been exposed to the vacuum of space. But, <laughs> you know, he's fine. It's good. And uh, when he goes to save Lois Lane, who was also taken to that ship with him uh, from this escape pod that had jettisoned, he uh, kind of drifts out into space, and his arms are held uh, perfectly out to either side of him in a very, very obvious crucifix shape. And it's yep. like, oh, like, I want... Oh, I guess Zack Snyder's <laughs> saying uh, he, this. Well, it's, it's like a Jesus reference. Right. It? it is. And you yes. already get it through <laughs> the entire movie, right? Oh, yes. I mean, he, the goes, whole... he literally goes to... Well, it's kind of wonderful in some ways because I, I like how on the nose it is sometimes, but... Before Clark chooses to reveal himself to General Zod and chooses to go with him to his ship, he actually goes to this church and asks a pastor. He tells this pastor, hey, I'm the guy they're looking for, as Clark Kent. And the pastor's like, oh, my gosh, because the whole world has been told mm -hmm. uh, to turn him over if they know who he is. And this pastor's suddenly like, uh-oh, like he's right in my church. Yeah. And as, as a— as Clark is talking to him about whether or not he should do it, there's this shot where over his shoulder is the stained glass and it's Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. And, uh, that's literally, it is literally Clark's moment in that movie. It is his Gethsemane moment. Cause he's like essentially praying by talking to this pastor about what he should do because he's be, as he's being led to his presumed crucifixion. Right. Exactly. So that and when he leaves that ship, willingly doing it too, because exactly, he, he turns himself in to save humanity. Right. It's a very obvious Christ analogy. But then when he leaves the ship in that cross shape, in some ways that is like the moment of crucifixion, if you will. And then the entire rest of the movie is about his 
redemption and saving uh, the actual saving of the world mm. in the sort of resurrect resurrected way. Of course, later on, Superman actually does undergo a resurrection, but that's right. a whole nother can of worms. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, there's also kind of the theme that I'm kind of thinking about right now where – um, you know, the idea of free will, but man has fallen as well. Yeah. Like, I mean, they do react very poorly when very they find so. out that he's Superman. So it's kind of like still the themes of free will and um, yeah. fallen man. Well, what's so great about that, too, is um, Clark uh, was raised as a human. And they really lean into that in this movie in ways previous Superman movies did not. He is not in previous Superman movies. He was never morally conflicted because in some ways his morals were conflated with his physical abilities. He was just this all-powerful, all-moral guy. And Clark, being raised a human, has faults. He has flaws and he makes mistakes. And one of the mistakes that he makes generally in this movie is by not understanding the full extent of his powers, he causes the deaths of a lot of people yeah. in the process of trying to save Earth from Zod. You know, when he and Zod are doing like a, you know, they're doing like a Dragon Ball Z slugfest in the middle of a, you know, metropolitan city. A lot of the city is destroyed in their fight. And so that really comes back to bite him in Batman v Superman because the world is suddenly like, oh boy, who is this guy accountable to? Yeah. Like, he's kind of this loose atomic weapon. And if he doesn't, you know, if he's not America's guy, whose guy is he? You know right. what I mean? But like, and that was Clark's mistake in this movie is he, in trying to save humanity, he actually ended up inadvertently causing a lot more deaths. Yeah. And that's a, another thing that people had such a problem with in this movie. People hated the ending because it seemed like Superman was completely morally detached from the collateral damage he causes in the Metropolis fight. And they're like, mm -hmm. well, Superman, he should have, he spends his time saving people. That's the point of the character. Well, he does save the world by stopping Zod. Right. But, uh, he didn't do it in like an expert Superman way. He kind of did it in a bull of a china shop way yeah. because he's young. And yeah. He's inexperienced. Yeah. And that's what Batman v Superman's all about is him coming to terms with his mistakes and Man of Steel and the world kind of vilifying him for it. Yeah. Obviously not a perfect Jesus analogy then if he's no, no, flawed. But yeah, it, it, right. I think the the themes are extremely awesome. Like I I get chills every single time I watch it. Because it, it, it is like a the the the, the Christian underpinnings is really interesting because it, it he's he's a christ-like character but it's 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 the same way that we often project ourselves on christ yes and we we experience you know we experience those moments of trial and tribulation and choosing to do the right thing even at the cost of our own personal integrity or right. our, our personal gain or whatever so he is he he is essentially us as we can as we like try to, to try to be christ-like and try to pursue yeah. christian ideals and values that's what i think is is like the, the christian underpinnings are very blatant but you know what most religious references in films and movies are i mean right. the golden compass is actually an, an atheist work which is very interesting but it sort of critiques christianity but then there's like the chronicles of narnia which uh, c.s lewis it literally is like the Bible retold with like fantasy creatures. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's it, it's in all the media we consume all the time. And I just think that Superman is a very apt character to do the same thing with. And I yeah. think Zack Snyder does it well. And it, like regarding all the death and everything like that, they, it is an un injustice film. That's what they set it up to be. Um, but what's interesting about it is like all the deaths – 
it's actually kind of more personal. You see the people who are dying um, during the destruction scene. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's at the beginning of BBS, but... Um, oh, yes, 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 yes. It is. That's... I know exactly what you're talking about. So the... Part of the uh, that was part of the problem people had with Man of Steel was that um, the violence at the end implies that like probably millions of people are dying, uh, but you don't really ever see anyone in particular die. Mm -hmm. uh, but Batman v Superman, as if uh, responding to that complaint, as if they were planning for this, <laughs> as if this was intended from the beginning. I mean, oh my! It's like they had a plan. Right. Uh, that literally the opening scene of Batman v Superman shows Bruce Wayne. Uh, basically uh, flying across the bay from Gotham, which for some reason is right next to Metropolis, but that's fine. And being in Metropolis uh, during the final scene of Man of Steel in which, uh, well, the Kryptonians are trying to terraform Earth, so that's happening with this big old machine. And then he literally sees Batman and, or Batman, I'm sorry, he sees Superman and Zod slugging it out uh, as these two, like, godlike beings in the sky just slamming through skyscrapers and cutting entire city blocks in half with uh, you know their laser vision and batman is completely helpless and he literally sees the office building in which uh, his business partner is working with all of his employees get sawed in half by zod's laser vision and that is the impetus of the entire movie is batman is weighing those deaths on his shoulders and he sees superman as this being who is completely unaccountable responds and respects no one and that's the entire plot of batman v superman yeah. and it's so interesting yeah and the note that i was going to say is like it's it's super interesting because when the avengers completely destroy a city there's no personal there's no personal feeling towards all the destruction like you don't feel no. the impact of that at all right well and, and that's one of the things with the avengers is you know in in the first avengers movie in some ways it's actually kind of funny and, and man of steel was criticized for this too because remember this came out a year after avengers did and yeah. the climax of avengers sees um the uh a blue sky beam opened up in New York that opened a portal to extraterrestrial aliens that come by and are, you know, swinging around on their little scooters and, you know, shooting stuff and whatever. And uh, Man of Steel's world engine in Metropolis, also a metropolitan area, also uses a pale blue sky beam, uh, but for a completely different purpose. But people saw that, number one, and they were like, oh, we've seen this before. It's a blue sky beam. Well, spoiler alert, blue sky beams happened a lot in superhero movies in the 2010s. So you're going to have to you kind of <laughs> have to deal with that one way or the other. But um, the thing about the Avengers is there's a literal alien invasion happening in New York City with these creatures that have like laser weaponry. And I don't think a single building falls over. I mean, there are these like space whales that are flying through down like 32nd Street, right? And they're just skirting around skyscrapers and just like, you know, making sure they don't cause too much damage because, you know, what would we do about that? Like, how would we ever answer that uh, question in a movie? Like, are the Avengers morally culpable? <laughs> That's too much to bite off until you get like three movies later right. when they actually do that after they you know what it takes is finally a whole city has to be dropped from the <laughs> sky for anyone to ask why the avengers have so much unilateral authority yeah. you know what i mean so it, it's it's pretty incredible uh that it took that long for them to deal with that question and not only that but man of steel is always supposed to be like you know if there was an alien invasion and these beings could actually shoot lasers and could actually and they didn't really care about humanity it would be exactly like uh, Loki described it to uh, 
Nick Fury in the first Avengers movie, an ant has no quarrel with a boot. The aliens would be the boot. We would be the ants. And Man of Steel is, takes that to its logical extension. It takes the premise of the Avengers, alien invasion in New York City, and says, well, you know what's going to happen? A lot of people are going to die, and a lot of buildings are going to be flattened. And that's yeah. just how it's going to go. And the whole thing is about how would people react Exactly. Right. And it, and that's the thing. It doesn't leave that it doesn't leave that question unanswered, right? And Avengers the Avengers movies and Marvel sort of did leave that question unanswered until they got to a civil war when finally the government finally the government is like oh man you guys have made some mistakes in the past and some people have died the next movie after man of steel is about that mistake. yeah and to be fair they don't really answer it because that movie stands alone after that you don't i mean i i don't rem remember really getting like the implications of that no nope, they really again. don't so they they have a civil war over i guess government registration which yeah. <laughs> all right I mean, I, Civil War, I think, is a fun movie, but I think its premise is flawed in a lot of ways. And I enjoyed it because it was very political it to was, the point yeah. where I didn't know who to Ex stand who, with. Exactly, because, exactly. Because, like, some people I really enjoyed as characters, right? but then they had certain views. I'm like, huh. And then they had other views. I'm like, wait, I agree right. with that. And, yeah, it's just... You know that, but you're exactly right. And that that movie tried to answer the question of how do we hold superheroes accountable, but that question didn't matter in the next movie. Yeah. It's like it never happened. Right. You know what I mean? And literally in Batman v Superman, Superman goes to a hearing on Capitol Hill in this really symbolic moment where he could have. I mean, he doesn't have to respond to anyone. Literally, hu humankind has absolutely no way to, re to rein this guy in. They have no way to do it. But Superman chooses to subject himself to our laws and our court system and our justice system and just, like, stand by what he's done and try to defend himself the best he can. Yeah. And the whole—all of Batman v Superman is exploring that question of accountability. Yeah, and I do want to— have a podcast about that because yeah. we watched Man of Steel last week, I believe, mm, or yeah. the week before, maybe. But um, yeah, I, I want to watch BBS with you and then yep. maybe have a breakdown of that. But before we get going, you did reference the uh, the Terraform. What are they called? The World Changers? The World Engine. World Engine. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you reference those and that also goes to your obsession with the score mm. of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you. you can you just pitch that and explain what's I so great about it? I would love to. Um, if you have never listened to movie soundtracks before, number one, why? Number two, do it. Uh, and number three, Man of Steel soundtrack is one of my favorites. Um, John Williams uh, is one of the greats of composing. Um, a lot of people know that. Did the theme for Jaws, Harry Potter, the Star Wars movies, all that kind of stuff. But he's not the only composer out there, believe it or not. And another one who is out there who does great work is Hans Zimmer. A lot of people know that name too, and that's because in some ways he is uh, John Williams' equal, just on the sort of... Uh, Hans Zimmer is very good at establishing mood and like ambient music in his movies. John Williams is great at melodies and like with themes you can hum and whistle and all that stuff. Hans Zimmer is like get your blood pumping, right? Yeah. So who, what movies just for the yes, audience? Yes, please. Thank you. Um, he has done oh so many. He did all of the non uh, singing stuff in The Lion King, which has a great soundtrack, including the live action remake, which I think is actually a better soundtrack than the original because Hans Zimmer did it again, which is incredible. Um, he has done uh, Interstellar. In fact, he and Christopher Nolan frequently collaborate on their movies, so he did the entire Dark Knight trilogy, which has great music. Interstellar did Dunkirk, which was really well-received. 
Um, he did. Oh gosh, I wish I knew more of these off the top of my head. I should. Oh, you're good. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up real fast because this guy really has a prolific um, career in in movie in movie soundtracks. Oh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, of course. <laughs> uh, Inception. Um, he did the Sherlock Holmes movies with uh, Robert Downey Jr. Um, but yeah, so this this guy has done a lot of stuff, and he, he's very good at what he does. But the reason I love Man of Steel so much is that it has lots of different themes for different characters that play with each other throughout the entire movie. Um, when Superman and Lois's plots come to a head, when Superman is saving her from the imploding world engine, you hear... Uh, so many themes going on at once. You hear the theme that he sets up during the uh, scenes on Krypton. You hear the music that represents Krypton because in that moment, as the world engine is blowing up, the last chance of Krypton existing is ending. So he plays that theme. He mixes it with Clark Kent's Superman theme, which that that is one you may know from the movie because it's pretty. It was from in a lot of the trailers, and it's very good. Um, and, and it's not the original. No, it's not. It's a com- completely different one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very respectful to the character of Superman. Yeah. And then he also mixes it with Lois Lane's theme that he establishes earlier when she's in the Arctic doing some reporting um but he just does stuff like this throughout the entire movie and uh another reason the soundtrack is so good is because it absolutely slaps (laughs) if you i mean there there is a track in that i mean there's a you could probably mix six or seven songs from this playlist into like a gym playlist and you your heart rate would never be so high (laughs) as it has ever been in your life um i just some some tracks that i love that i'll shout out here because uh Copyright laws prohibit us from playing yep. anything on this, or else it might get struck, and we don't want that. Um, Oil Rig is very excellent at the beginning. It's almost exclusively percussion. Hans Zimmer is the king of percussion. Uh, let me look here. Um, if You Love These People, it's a great uh, soundtrack. That is, that's plays during the end of the movie when um, Superman and General Zod are duking it out themselves. Um, Terraforming is an excellent track it goes through a lot of themes in the movie for about nine minutes of music that also plays at the end of the movie um oh some of the quieter ones this is clark kent is a nice exploration of his theme which uh in its most stripped down version his theme is just piano notes and it's just beautiful it's very simple flight though flight if you're going to listen to one track from this movie that's the one that best summarizes this movie that's the one that plays when he's first learning that he can fly and it is potentially the most inspiring song uh that has ever been put in a movie like you feel like you can fly after listening to that track um and then Hans Zimmer came back to do music for Batman v Superman, which also has a phenomenal, phenomenal soundtrack that continues those themes. Uh, he made the since uh, Wonder Woman appears in Batman v Superman, he composed her uh, theme along with Junkie XL, his co-composer. That theme is very well known. It's the epic electro cello or electric cello uh, riff that plays. Th- that went on to be expounded upon by Rupert Gregson Williams in the Wonder Woman movie. He kept that theme because it's so good. And uh, when Justice League came out, they brought in Danny Elfman to do the score, and he picked up the old themes of Batman and Superman from the 70s for these characters that have never had that music played with them ever. These totally different characters, and it was awful. But I am happy to report that if you do end up checking out the soundtrack to Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, which I highly recommend you do, uh, the Snyder Cut of Justice League will feature the original soundtrack by uh, Tom Holkenborg 
aka Junkie XL, who collaborated with Hans Zimmer for the uh, for Batman v Superman, and is now carrying the torch with those original themes into this new movie. And I could not be more excited to see a Justice League with these themes back again because they are really excellent. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, do we? And we don't know when the movie is coming out. We don't. Uh, or it's a four part. That's right. Series, right. 2021, uh, Snyder's Justice League is coming out to HBO Max. It's going to be a four-episode series, yep. each one an hour long. So it will be a little different. I'm very curious to see how they edit it to be like that because it was originally just supposed to be a movie. Um, but when all four parts are out, they're going to re-edit it into a single four-hour movie, which is so long i mean think of the longest movie you know it's longer than that the longest movie i can think of is avengers endgame three hours long almost and that felt like a long movie how about another hour of content coming to snyder's justice league it's going to be wild and with everyone coming back we just got news this week um who's coming back do you want to share that Oh my goodness, so many people. So that's what's so interesting about Zack Snyder's Justice League is uh, not only will we see Henry Cavill um, appear in his original intended form, that was another aspect of Justice League that was so terrible, was uh, Cavill was in the middle of filming Mission Impossible Fallout, and he was contractually obligated to have uh, this big bushy mustache for that movie. And when Warner Brothers said, hey, let's reshoot 80% of Justice League, uh, Henry Cavill came back and they had to CGI his upper lip to get rid of that mustache. And we were left with this just horrible Mr. Potato Head Henry Cavill, who's just every time you look at him on screen, you want to throw up uh, because his lip is moving like a piece of Play-Doh. Um, oh, God. Sorry. I just wow, I just remembered that. Um, but anyway, no. So we're going to see original unadulterated Henry Cavill back as Superman, who has also signed on for two more movies as Superman. Blessedly. Um, we're going to see... Uh, Oh, Jared Leto's Joker is coming back for Justice League. He wasn't even supposed to be in it originally, uh, but Zack Snyder was like, why not bring him back? And he was in the failed uh, Suicide Squad, did not play a very good Joker in that, but also hit the material he was given was very bad. Because we don't really know if he was just written poorly or... I honestly enjoy him. Oh, I like Jared. Leto. I I look I like how he looks yep. too in that movie. I I think that they could have leaned into the more gangster mm-hmm. comic version of him. Exactly, but... and that's what that was the goal, right? You know, and I think we'll we might see. I don't think he'll be in it very much in Justice League, but it's just amazing that he's coming back at all because it he his Joker was presumed dead. He was yeah. never going to be on screen again. So Jared Leto's Joker's coming back. Uh, Joe Manganiello's Deathstroke is coming back, and he appeared only in a post credit scene in the first Justice League movie. He was originally going to be the villain that uh, Ben Affleck's Batman faced in his Batman movie. Oh, wow. So the fact that he's coming back and that Ben Affleck is coming back for additional photography and that Ben Affleck's Batman is going to be in the Flash movie even after Robert Pattinson's Batman takes the screen could very well mean that we might just get two separate Batman universes with Ben Affleck reprising his role and maybe we will get that Ben Affleck, Joe Manganiello movie. I'd love that. Yeah, which is no longer a problem because they have announced the... Um, extended universe. Yep, they've announced uh, the that it's, it's all a multiverse now, yeah. which means that I mean, who knows? Marvel's all so Mar- Marvel's up to all sorts of shenanigans with that too now, with their potential Spider-Man three movie that could see Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire yeah. come back. But we we could see a we could see a Batman verse movie because Michael Keaton's Batman is showing up in the Flash as well. We could see a Batman movie with George Clooney, Michael Keaton, uh, Ben Affleck, maybe even. Um, uh, Help me here. Dark Knight, Batman. Um, 
Christian Bale. Th- Christian, th- thank you, Christian yep. Bale. We could see a movie with all of them in the future. I mean, the future looks so bright, but yeah, and the, it's all because of Flashpoint too. It's the... it's because of Flashpoint coming out. That's that the Flash movie is going to be what introduces this concept of a DC multiverse. But it all started with Man of Steel. It started with Henry Cavill and Zack Snyder making this movie. It is a beautiful film. Uh, it has inspired me to be more critical of the way I watch movies and to also detach myself a little bit from critics' views and opinions on things. Generally, I agree with critics in most circumstances, but this movie was a real departure for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just has... Oh, and I, I mean, we haven't... I haven't even talked about just how beautiful this movie is, just visually. It's shot just stunningly. And Zack Snyder does that crazy snap zoom thing from 300 where he zooms in and out of stuff and it makes you feel like you're watching a comic book on the screen. It's incredible. Yeah. The sound mixing is great. The villain is great. The score is great. The story is great. Uh, and it's all in a nice, concise two hours and 20 minutes, I think, which yeah. is fairly short by today's standards. But I mean, if, if you put it this way, if you've never seen Man of Steel and you're looking for an alternative take on the superhero uh, I guess dialogue today. Give it a give it a shot. If you have seen it and you were one of those people who said, "I hate this movie. It's the worst." Uh, I'm gonna go watch Iron Man. More power to you. But I really, highly, highly, highly recommend coming back and taking another look at it. Um, we have a good friend of ours, Liam, and I do who who did the same sort of thing. He hadn't watched it in a couple of years. He came back and watched it with us, and he still had some of his issues with it. But he certainly. Uh, saw it as being a better movie than he remembered, which right. I think many of you would have the same experience. Yeah, and I actually highly recommend you look at it as being a super intentional movie. Um, every shot, like Austin said, is almost as if it could be part of a comic book. Every single every single frame is intentional that way, and I really enjoy it. Um, but also, <laughs> if you guys haven't been able to tell Austin is really good at analyzing scores and the themes behind them. And if you know him, please push him to do a podcast on this because he loves Thomas Newman. He loves 1917. Yeah. He he can really analyze that movie. Well, um, thank you. Well, check out his review of that movie as well um, in Montana Kaiman. But yeah, um, he shows that you can actually do it despite copyright law, which doesn't allow you to um, put <laughs> put the audio in the podcast. So That's right. yeah, well, I really appreciate you being here, Austin. Yeah. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Liam. This was great. It's the weekend, and we can let go. It's the full send, and it's the get go. It's the get-